It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lutie. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> just want to start out with prayer and just set this time in God's hands and allow him to really lead us and reveal his word to us. Father, I love you so much. So grateful for the gift of Jesus and for the life of the Holy Spirit that lives within us as believers. Thank you for your presence. Lord, I feel like uh, there's such a great blessing upon us as the church, and I I want to uh, never take it lightly. I want to live it to its fullest. Like a grapefruit, I want to squeeze it of all uh, that, she, that is in it, all the potential, all the life, all the love, all the glory. Lord, lead us in today, and may we see more clearly the cross. May we see more clearly the Christ. May we see more clearly the triumph. May we see more clearly how to practically live today in obedience. Lord, we love you, and we submit to you with expectation. It's in the great name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. <coughs> Well, for those that you're going to have to go back a little into the uh, Daily Thunder archives because Nathan has been on a streak, a run, uh, while in his, uh, on his tour in Israel. And so you'll notice just a whole bunch of Nathan Johnson uh, messages from Israel, which have been really, really neat. And uh, he's back today. I haven't seen him yet, but rumor has it uh, that he's back, and he's supposed to be preaching in the in the church today. <laughs> Do you imagine being Nathan? Uh, and so we're excited to have him back, but <clears throat> both he and I have been out of town, and so the fact that we covered Daily Thunders in that time is more in the supernatural category than anything else, but I was going through a series on life lessons, uh, and then I had a little distraction with a series on uh, Joshua Harris. Then uh, I got back to some life lessons, and then I left town. And so I actually have at least a couple more life lessons that I've been uh, nurturing and uh, cultivating. And I actually have a whole bunch, and I'm trying to restrain myself, and I, I figure I might as well just start a new series coming up because it's like, how long can a series go? But I have so many life lessons, and... So uh, this one is, at first blush, would be like, how how is that a life lesson? And yet, I would say that this is so cornerstone in my life and how I think and how I reason and how I live that though at first blush, even in my own mind, I'm going to think, well, that's just a truth. It's not necessarily a life lesson. I mean, this would be a life lesson for everyone. Well, that's a good point. Uh, You see, a Christian should have this as a cornerstone, should have this as a foundation, Yet I'd say a lot, though they're near it, may have never established it as a clear, life-changing truth that alters the way we look at life and live out our life. And so that's why I want to go through it specifically. Uh, I'm not seeing uh, my keynote up on the screen, and uh, Nick stepped out. Um, I'm not sure if any of you know how to turn on the, the screens. I don't even know if these cameras are on. So uh, I don't know if I should pray again that uh, God enable this to work, because uh, without my notes up here, I do have my computer in the back, uh, which I can look at, but we're at least going to try and see if we can make this uh, work today. 
Uh, Sandy, is there any way or Mallory that you guys could grab my computer case there and uh, I am going to grab a uh, pedestal, yes, uh, and I'll go through my notes that way even though it's the old-fashioned way. Isn't that funny that a computer is considered, thank you so much, uh, a computer is considered the old-fashioned way uh, than to be able to use my own notes. Thank you. See, this is how the body of Christ works. Everyone comes bringing their gift. Uh, we all have something to offer. All right, just a second, guys. Sorry about this delay. We got started a few minutes late. I, I was here, so I still didn't lose a point for, for being here. Uh, all right, just a second. If you're listening to this via podcasts or any other form, you'll be wondering what's going on, and it's, uh, things are happening right now. We are busy and active. Uh, I'm opening up my computer and opening up my file, which is my keynote that uh, we're having a tough time getting on the screen. All right, so the name of this one is called The Principle of Always. And I've had a lot of uh, titles in the series that have been called The Principle of Something. And it's because it you know, fits life lessons, uh, that there's a principle or there's a truth and this is a way of thinking and a way of reasoning that God instructs us in. It's how the Bible is built. And so, uh, let's go through. Oh, there's Nick. Uh, do, we just need the, the, the keynote up. And so, by the time, now I just got this up, and uh, Nick will press a button, and it'll all come on. So, uh, but this is called The Principle of Always. And uh, one of the things that we know about the nature of God is that he is an always God. Many of us don't think to call him that, but he is always the same. And what's interesting about the Christian life is there's this dynamic where God never changes, and yet he's in the business of change. Isn't that a funny statement? God never changes, but he's in the business of change, but he's changing us to be like him. You see, when sin entered the world, it distorted something that God intended to reflect him. And so, though he doesn't change, he is changing us. And that's, of course, the gospel right there. And so, one of the statements that uh, I, I've uh, talked about throughout the years, is this how I'm going to do it? Oh, you don't have the keynote. Okay. Well, that makes it difficult for you to do it. Yes. Uh, so, well... There's, I'm just glad I brought my computer, which, you know, the, the brilliance of just sticking your computer in, let this be another life lesson to everyone. Always bring your computer with you. Uh, but Joseph had a coat of many colors. And Joseph to the Jews is a picture of the Messiah. A lot of Jews would say there were two key pictures to them. You know, these are not the Jews that uh, necessarily converted to Christianity or saw the Christ, but they were waiting for a Messiah, but they, they oftentimes would break that Messiah into twos, a Joseph-like Messiah and a David-like Messiah, because both of them were Messiahs uh, in their own way, or pictures of it. And one of the interesting things about Joseph, which is an incredible picture of Christ, he really is, is that he was given a coat of many colors. He was a beloved of a father. And, uh, and so, this statement that I'm going to make is God has a coat of many colors. And so when Joseph is given a coat of many colors, it's a picture of something in the Old Testament that is revealing something that is hidden, but is going to be revealed throughout the centuries, the generations uh, to the people of Israel and to us. But it is that God has a coat of many colors. 
and he's clothed in rainbow of all things. And so in Ezekiel 128, it says, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spoke. So Ezekiel sees God Almighty enthroned. And what does he see? He sees a rainbow that surrounds him. Now, why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with the principle of always? Well, most of us, when we think about a rainbow, we think of Noah and we think of the signal of covenant uh, that God is giving, saying, I will never destroy the earth once you know, again with, uh, with water and uh, with a flood. And, you know, that's, that's good. Uh, but what is a rainbow? It seems to be like the symbol, symbol or the emblem of God. This is who he is. And it has to do with his always nature, his covenantal nature, that when he says something, he'll do it. And so when you see God stick his symbol in the sky to say, look, people, I'm giving you my own signature on this one. I'm saying this is who I am, and I will not fail. If I say I will not destroy the earth with a flood again, I will not do it because I am the God who is clothed in rainbow. And so, again, in Revelation 4.3, we see a, a picture of the throne. It says, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And so what we see is a God who is clothed in rainbow. And uh, so I have a picture, and of course you can't really enjoy it. I'm enjoying it right now because it's on my screen, and we're still working on the, the keynote. So for those of you that are streaming right now and going, what's the good of streaming if I just have to stare at Eric looking at his computer? But, uh, well, you get to stare at Eric. I mean, isn't that a, a luxury right there? Everyone's laughing in here that that's not really that funny. Uh, but you're missing out on a, a screen here that is really cool, and it's a picture of a king. It's really blocky, and it doesn't really look very human, but it's a king on his throne, and he's clothed in rainbow. Okay, so there's, uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven blocks. You know, it's like the, the Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, uh, green, blue, indigo, violet. Is that right? Oh, you got it up there. Oh, good. Okay, well, now I'm going to close my computer, and we're going to transfer, because this is the way I'm, I'm used to functioning. So now you guys can see my, the uh, screen just went off. So now I can't see it. So now I'm going to oh, open up my computer once again and go back to that. But you guys did get a chance to see it, right? So, oh, it's back again. Okay, so now I'm going to close my computer and I just leave it open is what the recommendation is. So we'll just leave my computer open. Uh, and so this is what I would like to say is, even though it looked a lot more beautiful than this, okay, this is a king on his throne, and he is clothed in rainbow. And uh, the proper name of God, which many of us know, and if you've hung around here at Ellerslie, you've heard it many times, and of course, just good old classic uh, Christianity to go back and understand when Moses is in front of the burning bush and he asks God his name, that God answers, and God gives him a name. Now, it's a strange name to many of us, because in the English, it doesn't flow very well for God to say, I am. I am that I am. It just sounds really weird. He was that he is. I mean, how, how does this work? And so this becomes the, to the Jew, what they would call the ineffable name. Not 
It's interesting because we would say it's the unspeakable name. That's how many of us have translated it, but to the Jews it was ineffable. And it's the name that you never want to transgress. And so one of the commandments is, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But that's what it's speaking of. It's talking about this name. And so you don't want to take it in vain. You don't want to ever take it lightly. You want to recognize that God has entrusted his people with his name. And and name is a carrying uh, device for a nature, for a person. And so it's very, very significant that God gives us his name. And so let's read that in Exodus. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. What strange English, I am? has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So what we have is a name that God has forever. This is what his name is. Now what's interesting is this is the name. This is the name of names in the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, when it says that Jesus is given a name above all names, uh, that's a pretty big deal, okay? I mean, the Jews, I mean, they tremble before this name. They wouldn't even speak it out loud. The only person that spoke it in their culture was the high priest once a year in the very Holy of Holies while offering blood as a sacrifice, lest he be struck down dead in the presence of God. This is a significant thing. And then Jesus is given the name above all names. And we are to speak that name. We are to call upon that name. We are to utilize that name. We are to pray in that name. We are to cast out demons in that name. We are to go forth and do the work of God and to make disciples in that name. We are to baptize in that name. And we have freedom to use a name above all names. But what is it about Jesus that is so significant is it's actually this name which we oftentimes throughout history, we don't usually say, I am, because the Jews wouldn't even speak it, so they wouldn't even write it either. So that you'd see it all caps, Lord, which is uh, going to be our translation, or the Jews' translation would be like Jehovah or Yehovah. Uh, they would have Adonai in the Aramaic and Yahweh, which would be like the four letters. This is just four letters. They never even would pronounce it. So no one even knows to this day how to pronounce the four letters that make up this name. So that's where you get the Yehovah which is Yahweh to us. That's how we would translate it. And so it's an ineffable name, but you take this name, this name of Yahweh, this name of Jehovah, and you add a verb to it, and that is saves. And what you have is the name of Jesus. Yehovah, Jehovah saves. Yeshua was the Old Testament name. Yehoshua was actually Joshua's original name, which means Jehovah saves. And because it was too close to saying the name that they couldn't speak, they changed Joshua's name to Yeshua, which means Jehovah saves. And Jesus is named Joshua, Yeshua. He has the same name. And that's what it means. It means Jehovah saves. So the unspeakable name that is above all names is actually even a greater clarity to who this I am is. Do you want to know who he is? You want to know who he always has been? Who he always will be? He is a God who saves. And that is the highest revelation. Isn't that an amazing thought? 
<clears throat> so the ineffable name. So you'll see the, if you're watching this uh, via stream, uh, you'll see that I have the four letters there. It's Y-H-V-H. So Yehovah. Uh, and that's what's called the Tetragrammaton. The, it's, it wouldn't even be written or spoken. It was so holy, so precious to the Jews. And so it's, it basically means the I am. But it doesn't just mean the I am in present. It is the I am that was and that is and always will be the same. It's one who always is as he is. So he was this way, he is this way, and he always will be this way. So the always, the continuous, the never-ending, the perpetual, the same. So the most elementary attribute of God is his I amness. So when God is revealing himself in Scripture, you know, where, where, does, where does Scripture start? Scripture actually starts right here with Moses. Moses is the one that wrote the entire first five books. And so what we see is the Bible is starting right here. Now God is going to give Moses understanding and revelation to write all that happens before this in Scripture. But this is when the Bible's starting. And what's it starting with? God revealing himself to Moses, the writer of the first five books. And what is he revealing? That he is, I am. So this is the most foundational revelation to even the writer of the Bible. So his unchanging everness, his nature, is the most basic building block of faith. So what we see in Hebrews eleven six is the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing this exact same point. He's saying, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you see, when we speak, we don't say I am. That would be blasphemy. I mean, we don't declare that we are, right? So how do we say it? We say he is. He was, he is, and he always will be. You see, God's the one that can say I am because it's him talking. But when we talk, we say, he is. And so what this is saying in Hebrews is, he that comes to God must believe that he is. This is like a cornerstone, a foundation of faith. See, if you're going to approach God, you need to believe that he was, and he is, and he always will be the exact same. Then there's another piece to this, and it is, and that he is a rewarder. So, well, let me finish the statement at least. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we need to know that he is, which means he's unchanging. But then in his unchangingness, there is something about him that you can bank on. And that is he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you seek him, you will find him. Yeah, I'm calling this a life lesson, guys. Because right here, wrapped up in that one scripture, scriptural statement is the enunciation of my life confidence, my eternal confidence. I believe that he is. And I believe that as I pursue him and call upon him, he will be found. I believe that he will reward me when I diligently seek him. If I knock, he will open. If I seek, I will find him. If I call out to him, he will hear me. This is the foundational confidence. It's called faith that Eric Ludi has in God Almighty. Where did I get that from? Well, he gave it to me in his word. This is his word giving me promise, giving me assurance. And when I believe it, it changes me. So when we say that anyone who's going to come to God must believe that he is, who's he? Now, you could say, well, it's God. Well, yes, 
But very specifically, the writer of Hebrews is illuminating the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. So who is he? Well, it is God. It is the Father. It is the Holy Spirit. You don't neglect that. But very specifically, it's Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah made flesh. Jesus is God Almighty come to this earth to reveal this very fact that God is and he always will be the same, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So, simply put, Jesus is the I am. So, so we simply say it, he is. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. What's he saying? Well, he's saying exactly what you might be wondering if he's saying. He's actually saying, I am, guys. <laughs> Whoa, do you know that that's not supposed to be said by a Jew? Well, unless it's true. What if you were the I am? Well, then it's perfectly fine to say it. Jesus says it over and over and over again. In fact, the, uh, the Gospel of John is written seemingly specifically to reveal the I amness of Jesus Christ. So in Revelation 1, and then you'll see again in, in chapter 22, I am Alpha Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. What a statement for someone to make. Now, this is the glorified Christ, right? It's not just the Christ walking around with dust on his feet in Judea. This is the one who has ascended, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and now John the Apostle is witnessing this revelation. And what does Jesus say? I am Alpha and Omega. I am beginning and ending. Whoa, what, a, what a huge statement. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. That's good I am language right there. Okay, I am the same, always. I was, but I am, and I always will be the same. The Almighty. I am, and then here's in chapter 22 again. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. See, I've always been here, guys, is what Jesus is saying. I am. It's like the burning bush in front of John, and he's saying the exact same thing. You want my name? Well, you're Jesus. I am is who I am. That's what he's saying to John, the same revelation as Moses received way back when. And you'll notice that it's like a bush burning with fire, too. It's very similar. And then look at this. In John 8, for if you believe not that I am. Now, in our translations, it'll oftentimes add he in there. So it oftentimes will read, for if you believe not that I am he, why would it put in the he? Not because it's actually in the Greek. It's that it doesn't make any sense in English to not put in a he. And yet, there's no need for the he if you know what Jesus is actually saying. For if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. So how important is it to believe that Jesus is I am? Well, according to John chapter 8, verse 24, it's fairly significant. Listen, I'll read it again. For if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. You see, faith is essential to coming to God and finding salvation. But in faith, what's essential? Well, you first must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So if you're not believing that he is or that he is I am, well, then you're going to die in your sins. <clears throat> so let's go back to Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
See, when you're dealing with God, you need to realize you're dealing with someone who does not change. Faith needs that rock to build on. I got so excited when I was teaching Hudson. I want to say Hudson was like two or three. He wasn't as excited as I was. But I was teaching him math, and I, I really get excited about math. I get a lot more excited now than when I was studying it in school. But the, the revelation that two plus two equaled four. Okay, now I know for some of you in here, you're, you're not as excited as I am. You're more like Hudson, sort of like, what's the big deal? I said, buddy, this will always be the same. You take two things and add them to two things, and you will always, for all of eternity, I mean, 10 billion years from now, you will still know the answer to that. Which means once you determine it, you can know it as a fact. You can build your life upon it. It is stable. It is real. It is true. I got all excited, and Hudson was just sort of staring at me, right? But when you recognize that mathematics reveals the I amness of God, it doesn't alter based on your feeling. You may wish it to be three or wish it to be five, but two plus two equals four. And that is the facts of God. We either change to adapt to who he is or we attempt to be what we want, okay, which is a great description of our culture today. We want truth on our terms. And so we want to modify and alter the realities around us when in actuality God is. And so when we build around him, we find salvation. When we say, God, you're right, okay? It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. You are right. I trust you. That's when life begins to hum. That's when life begins to work. So the two factors of faith. One, the facts, he is. Two, the promise, he is a rewarder. When you get the facts in place that he is, it, it sets you up for success. Because then the promise makes sense. What's the good of a promise if you don't believe that he's going to stay stable with it? If you don't know that he is, that he's a rock, that he's not going to change, there's no shadow of turning in him, then he could tell you that he's a rewarder. You go, well, yeah, 2,000 years ago maybe you were a rewarder, but then things have evolved. Things have changed, and maybe you're not a rewarder today. But he is, which means he always was the same, always will be the same. So... We can, when we hear that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, we, 2,000 years after he was bodily here on this earth, can trust it and build our life upon it. So I'm going to have our little king guy. You know, for those of you that are getting this via podcast, you're really missing a treat. First of all, you missed all the fun dynamics of us running around trying to find my computer and get this set up and having the keynote go on and off. You know, there's a lot of fun this morning, and you would have missed all of that. Uh, but uh, we're back to my king drawing, which is, it's a guy with a head with a crown on it, but then there's these blocks on it. And what I'm going to show you is the revelation of God throughout Scripture. And so what you see is this ever-increasing revelation of who God is. Now, what we're going to say is we're, it's revealing Christ. All of Scripture is revealing the I am in Jesus. But what we see is the first one is he was and is and is to come. And then I have a subtitle under it, with it, which is, He is Unchanging Everness. So this is the principle of always. This is the foundation. And if you're going to build a healthy Christian life, you don't want to build a different foundation than this. This is the foundation. This is the rock of faith. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So God is, and then he reveals himself. And his word, like his nature of being I am, is I am. His word is I am, which means it was 
always the same as it is today and it will always be the same. See, this is how a Christian reasons, which is why when these modern, postmodern, you know, idiots, I shouldn't say it that way, uh, people uh, come in and modify and change the word of God to say what they think this generation wants to hear, then what they're doing is they're altering the very essence of what God has revealed. God doesn't change. His word is eternal. Hey, don't touch that. And so what we have is this revelation that says faith comes by hearing, but hearing by the word of God. So how are we going to know that God is? Well, the word of God reveals it. And so God gives us his word. And so that's the next one is he is the word of God. He has made himself and his purposes known. So it's not just that God is, but none of us know that he is. God is, and he has revealed it. And he has given us his word, which is why we cherish it so much. The Lord our God is holy. And so what you'll see is this very progression that is going to take place in the history of the nation of Israel. Moses encounters God at a bush, and God speaks his name. And then God is going to say, write this down in a book as a memorial. And then he's going to reveal the law of God. What's the law? Holiness, righteousness of God. God is establishing truth. And so he is holy. He has no darkness in him. He is perfectly otherly. So God is revealing who he is. He gives us his word. And then in his word, he's going to say, look, I'm not like you. And he's going to begin to articulate his nature. And in so doing, what's he going to show? Our nature. And he's going to reveal to us sin. So when he gives us law, what's he given us? Well, he's given us something good. I know most of us have a negative con uh, conception of law, but he's given us a revelation of our need for a savior. That's what he's doing. He's giving us a gift. O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. And so he's also revealed his perfect righteousness. There is no flaw in him. He is perfectly and legally just and right. The law that he is giving, he keeps. In other words, it's a perfect reflection of who he is. So God is he has revealed himself so that we could know it. And he's revealed his holiness, his righteousness. And where does that leave us? Whew. We are in need of a savior. The law is a schoolmaster which leads us to Christ. And so what God is giving us is he's giving us a need. He's showing us that there's something wrong. He's exposing the fact that we are in desperate need of him. And so he's going to be the answer to that craving that he is creating. God is love. And so the next block I'm going to put in is he is love. He ever lives to bring us life even at his own expense. And so that's what you see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that was unholy and unrighteous that he gave his only begotten son. So what we see is the unfolding of the gospel. So you'll notice in my, if you're seeing this on the screen, at the bottom four blocks, which is he was, he is, and he is to come, he is the word of God. He is holy. He is righteous. And then I have a little divider line. It's almost like Old Testament to New Testament. In other words, what we're going to see is a shift of covenants. We're going to see a God who is desirous to save, but knows that he needs to lay the foundations of his nature and his person so that the gospel will be known and understood and received. And so then he reveals his love in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And then grace comes onto the scene. The labor, the work of God to carry out the impossible errands of the Almighty. God has given us 
impossibilities through the law. Everything in Scripture, God has given us his word to reveal his I amness. He is who he is. And unless we are like him, we can have no participation in him. But he loves us, so he's given us these commands. He's given us his high standards. Thou shalt be perfect as I am perfect. Thou shalt be holy as I am holy. Thou shalt love as I love. Thou shalt forgive as I forgive. Thou shalt be pure as I am pure. And every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. Every single one of us cannot attain this behavior. We are, we are marred. Something is wrong with us. It's called sin. You see, we are twisted. We are lacking power. Because God never intended us, in our own strength and our own ability, to do this. The way he created us was to be a dwelling place. A dwelling place for himself. So the God who is like this could live inside of us and be like that in us. And yet, because of sin, because of our rebellion, God has departed and and is no longer in us. So Jesus comes to make that right. He loves us so much. Lays down his life, but what is he giving us? He's giving us grace. He's giving us an ability. He's giving us a power. He says, could I come in and live inside of you? You see, Jesus saves us by his working, not our working, his working, and that's grace. He did the work, but he also does the work today. And so, the God of all grace is revealed. And so, look at this list. You see, he was, he is, he is to come as the bottom block, and then he is the word of God. He is holy, he is righteous, but then he is love, and he is grace. My subheading under he is grace is he personally is ever laboring to keep our feet from stumbling and to present us a pure and spotless bride marked by his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, and his amazing love. God doesn't lessen his standard. He doesn't change his nature to save us. He fulfills it. and He actually showcases it in and, how he, in and through how he does it. Even though we, in and of ourselves, are unholy and unrighteous and impure and unloving, he has set his seal upon us and has moved inside of us as we humble ourselves and yield to him. And then he changes us, strength to strength, glory to glory, and he begins to transform us so that out of our lives begins to actually come forth a picture of who he is, his purity, his righteousness, his holiness. You see, he changes our nature and our behavior. But that's not actually what saves us. What saves us is not our behavior It's his behavior. He has accomplished something. He has offered his own life, his perfect holiness, his perfect righteousness before the Father, and he has clothed us in it. And actually, that is our great secret in life, is the I am has clothed us in his I amness. So, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, look at the bottom portion. I'm going to call that like the bottom four blocks of this king. I'm going to say he is. This is who he is, guys. You know, that has not changed. Some people think that when we came into the New Testament, Jesus, or Jesus like fixed God. Like God was sort of mean and holy and just righteous. And then Jesus comes in and makes him loving and gracious. No, no. Uh, God didn't change from being uh, the I am who is holy and righteous. He still is. He's holy, holy, holy. He's righteous, righteous, righteousness. 
And yet Jesus fulfills all of that. And that's what's amazing. He comes to us and is a rewarder. He is giving to us all that God desires to give. And anyone who would humble themselves is able to receive this reward. Anyone who comes to him and says, God, I believe that you are. And I believe that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. You discover his reward. You receive his love and his grace. He clothes you in his righteousness. He becomes your holiness. And so I also divided it where you look at those bottom four, and I call that the law. And then the top part, grace. You see, the old covenant could offer us law. It gave us promise of a Messiah to come who would bring us grace, but it can only show us our need of a Savior. But the new covenant in his blood, given in his love, is going to offer us the power to do it. So there's our rainbow, guys. So every time God is revealed, there's a rainbow that is seen. It's a symbol of his always nature, his everness. And for us, we need to recognize, we need to stare at that throne, and we need to see that rainbow. God, you are. You have never changed from that. You are who you are, and your word is who you are. So therefore, it doesn't change. You are still holy. You are still righteous. Your love cascades through the generations, and your grace is still real today. It's not just that you were gracious. You are gracious, and you always will be my power to do it. This is what we bank on. This is why I'm calling it a life lesson. This is the the essence of how I live, how I think. So Jesus, the always Savior, the only one who is always. You see, God is always. We're not. We're, We're supposed to be like God, if you want to say it that way, but God is the always God. God is the one who is the I am. We're not the I am. I remember John the Baptist said it this way. I am not (laughs) that's what he said so Jesus comes and he says I am and John the Baptist says I am not and that's a great quote for us I'm wondering if we should stick that in our refrigerators I am not because we are not the always God but we are being changed by the always God and he that sent me this is Jesus speaking is with me the father has not left me alone for I do always those things that please him I don't know that any of us can give that quote I do always those things that please him. Ha, huh. you, know, you know, my little attitude issue over here, my tone of voice over here, and my correction of my child, which maybe have had a little too much frustration in it. All of those things disqualify me for that quote. In other words, I have little things in my life that always sort of, you know, eh. I am in need of a Savior, still to this day. I've I've been changed so dramatically over the, what is it, like 29 years that I've been given my life radically to Jesus Christ. He has changed me so deeply, so intimately, and yet I still need a Savior. I have not become the I am in all of that. I am still dependent and needy just as a branch would be to a vine. There's no point in time where that branch can break off and suddenly be fine on its own. I need that vine, which has the living sap in it, to constantly change me. I need my vine dresser to prune me back so that even more fruit can come forth. Wherefore he, speaking of Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he always lives to make intercession for them. He's an always God. Jesus is the revelation of the always God. So this is an interesting thing. 
the always people. Here I am making all these statements about the fact that we're not the always, we're not the always God. But we are being crafted and molded into people that resemble a God who doesn't change. A people that do what God would do. So we are an always people. We're supposed to be changed into this. Christians, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like when you meet a Christian from you know, 200 years ago, there shouldn't be a difference between a Christian today. Same God, doing the same work inside of them. What does it look like? Well, it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It looks like God. It has the same aroma, the same cologne, the same beauty, the same majesty. It's not a different God that is revealed today because it's the same always God. So we're the always people. We're always revealing the always God. The, the one in whom the always Savior lives, moves, and has his being. So if we were the dwelling place of the always God, what would people begin to see in us? They begin to see the always God. Now, clarity, we are not the always God, but the always God calls our body his home. So therefore, out of our life begins to show forth the always God. Isn't that a funny statement? The fire shall always be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. That's in the book of Leviticus. Speaking about the temple of God, what is supposed to be true about us? That there's supposed to be a fire that's always burning. See, that's part of the always people. This is how God's temple is supposed to function. So listen to all of these. I'm going to go through and give you a whole bunch of always people type of quotes here. We set the Lord always before us, and because he is at our right hand, we shall not be moved. So they're giving, I mean, we may not have lived that way perfectly, but we might as well be inspired right now to say, well, okay, that's, what, that's the way I want to live. If the always God is moving inside of me, then I want to always set the Lord before me. I, I want to live at his right hand so that I'm not moved. I've been moved lately. I don't want to be moved. I want to stand firm, and what do I need to do for that? I set the Lord always before me. We ought always to pray. And without ceasing, make mention of others always in our prayers. We thank our God always. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Sorry, guys, I should be giving scripture uh, references because those of you that are listening uh, podcasts, I'll start doing that. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. For he always causes us to triumph in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 2, 14. We are always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That's 2 Corinthians 4.10. We are always confident. 2 Corinthians 5.6. And due to his abounding grace, we always have all sufficiency in all things in order to abound to every good work. What a statement. That's 2 Corinthians 9.8. You can tell that 2 Corinthians is like Paul's going berserk with the always. We are giving thanks always for all things, Ephesians 5.20. And always making our requests with joy, Philippians 1.4. And we are always magnifying Christ in our bodies, whether it be by life or by death, Philippians 1.20. We are always obeying, Philippians 2.12. We are rejoicing in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. Praying always, Colossians 1.3. And our speech is always with grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians 4.6. We are always laboring fervently for others in prayer, Colossians 4.12. And giving thanks to God always for others. 1 Thessalonians 1.2 We always follow that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 And we rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 We are bound to thank God always for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray always. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 and 11. And 2 Thessalonians 2.13 
making mention of others always in our prayers. We have been given a coat of many colors. It's Jesus. Let's wear him that he might wear us. You see, there's two ends that are described in Scripture. Paul refers to it over and over and over and over again. We must be in Christ. Put on the coat. Put off your old coat. Put on the coat of many colors. His name is Jesus. Wear him. Wear him as clothing, as a garment of salvation, as a robe of righteousness. Wear him. And when you wear Christ, you're able to enter into the throne room of grace boldly, where you may obtain mercy and grace for help in time of need. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask the Father. Oh, those of you that wear the coat of many colors, ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. You see, God delights to give us his life within. There is no hand slap. His answer is already yes. Anyone who wears the coats of many colors, the answer is yes and amen. All the promises of God are yes in him. And all the promises of God are amen in him. In who? In Christ. In the one who is that coat of many colors. So what is the life lesson? Jesus is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I have planted my feet upon a rock. I have put my confidence in Jesus, and never has he forsaken me. After all these years, something like 29, I need to get a good accurate mathematical number here, something like 29 years, I have radically, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was five, so that's like 43 years, but Something happened 29 years ago where I said, Jesus, I recognize, I don't know what I've been doing. I don't know what that counts for. I don't even like to think about it. But right now, I recognize what you've done for me, and I'm all in. 29 years. So 29 years of that sort of Christianity. And what I can say is, he is faithful and true to his word. I build my life upon a rock, and when winds and rains beat against it, it will not fall. Still to this day, I have faith. In fact, that faith is more robust than it was 29 years ago. God grows us up when we build on him, when we believe in him. We believe that he is just as sure as two plus two equaling four. He will prove to be exactly that in our life. It's the principle of always. Not just the fact that God is always, but God wants to build me into an always Christian so that I learn to live in agreement with his always nature, so that my life becomes constant and consistent in the things that reveal him. And if there's something that isn't like him, isn't like the always God, what does he do? He's faithful to convict me of it and to not allow me to just brush it aside and say, oh, that doesn't matter that I'm different than the always God. God wants to change me into one who is always like him, though I am not the always God. He desires to reveal himself with more and more clarity, more and more perfection in and through my life. It's called sanctification. It's a beautiful, wondrous process that he loves his children so much to carry us on a journey like that. Father, I ask that you would make us always people, people filled with an always God, fixed firmly established, built upon the solid rock of your I amness. Lord, we trust you. We thank you for the fact that you 
have always been who you are. You are still the same today, and you will always be the same. In you is no shadow of turning. Praise you for that, Lord. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.